Hello, fantasy and adventure fans. My name is Gabe, and this is CamCat Unwrapped. You've been listening to They Met in a Tavern by Elijah Menchaca. Today, the author is joining us virtually to chat about his book. Elijah, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so I just have to say before we start, this is one of my favorite books that we have published <laughs> to date. I was actually the person who did the initial acquisitions read of your manuscript. I did the, the first, middle, last, the first round of it, and I loved it so much I like could not wait for it to come out. And this is actually the second time I finished reading it. So it's very high praises for you just off the bat. Thank you. Thank, thanks for being the one to get me in. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it was awesome. And I, I can't remember who did the, the full read, but they loved it too. Um, so uh, do you want to just tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, name is Elijah Menchaca. I was born and raised in Bakersfield, California, and I've moved all over this country at this point. Uh, I am the author of the Glint Chasers series, They Met in a Tavern's first book. Been cranking out a couple more since, and I do write a couple other things on the side. Awesome. So what's your connection to the fantasy genre? Uh, it's a funny thing. I didn't have one growing up for a long time. I grew up a sci-fi and superhero kid. I was into the Halo novels and Justice League and stuff like that. I didn't read uh, Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter forever. And then one day I was super into Overwatch in college. And I found out that one of the voice actors, Matt Mercer, ran a D&D game on the internet. And I was like, that sounds neat. I'll check that out. Nice. And it was... That was Critical Role, and it was so much fun watching it that I just, I needed to, I needed to do it. So I started playing D and D in college, and then from there, I just I got used to telling stories in fantasy, and then the tipping tip of the spear, the thing that tipped it all over for me, was uh, I was watching a D and D tutorial channel from Matt Colville of like how to be a DM, and he said like, hey, uh, I write fantasy books, read them, and so I did, and. I fell in love with those books. It, it, they are seared into my soul. And from the moment I read them, I was like, okay, I, I have to write fantasy now. Nice, nice. I love that. I actually just got into Overwatch 2. I never was really into Overwatch, the original Overwatch, but I just got into Overwatch 2. And I've been loving it. But anyway, back to it. Um, so I could, going back to D&D, I could definitely tell like there are like elements of like kind of like a party like how you would have in D D in they met in a tavern um is your book based at all like from a DD campaign or do you take influences from any of your DD campaigns to write the book um yes and no uh one of the things you learn as a dm is that uh if you want total control of the story and you like want to know what's going to happen and like control the moments. Don't play D and D. Write a book. That's the that's the advice everyone tells you because you get so many dungeon masters who are just trying to micromanage their players. And I was like, ooh, I don't want to do that when I'm playing D and D. But I do have this one idea for a campaign that I don't <laughs> trust my players to not mess up. So I was like, okay, I guess I got to write that. 
So you're and so, so it's not a campaign I ever ran, but it is one I wanted to run that I just didn't trust my players to do right. Oh my god, that's so so interesting. So basically, the book came from like an idea for a like a a game for D and D. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I wanted to tell this story of like experienced heroes who had been out of the game and hadn't been talking to each other for, but had such a rich history with each other, coming back together and like being kind of skittish around each other i just watched umbrella academy and i was like oh i want to do that in D." &D." yeah yeah yeah, and then i was like "Mm, my players will mess that up they'll (laughs) they'll just play a fucking sad clown goliath and that's no none of that yeah so instead i brought in uh a couple characters that i had sitting on just in my back shelf Uh, angel was a character that i'd always wanted to play and never gotten a chance to brass was another one of those that after I heard a song uh, Panic, from Panic! at the Disco, I was like, that's a character. I need to play him. Never could. And then from there, I chucked in just some other people who've been rattling in my brain forever. Okay, cool. Phoenix and Snow. So speaking of your characters, um, were any of your characters influenced by people that you've met or know in real life? Yep, yep. Uh, Snow began forever ago as my uh my then girlfriend uh i was in middle school was when i first started writing books and so i when you're in middle school you just self-insert everything to the extreme so my then girlfriend made it in to the stuff i was writing middle school as a character and i scrapped everything i wrote except that character and she has like changed and evolved as i've kept trying to stick her into things Okay. And every time she's changed, but uh, until she ended up as she is now. So they're different people at this point. It's not a one-to-one by any stretch, but every time I write for Snow, I do still think about her. Very interesting. And what was your inspiration for Brass? Because he was such an interesting character. I almost got like kind of like a Jack Sparrow kind of like swashbuckler kind of outlaw. Yep. One part swashbuckler, one part washed out rock star. Uh, Okay, uh, Brass came from uh, the Panic at the Disco song, Don't Threaten Me with a Good Time. That's where he was born. Okay. I was going through critical role forums, and someone's like, hey, this song is a good fit for that character. And I was like, I like that character. Let me listen to the song. Played the song, and I was like, oh... Oh, I don't know if that's 100% fit for the Critical Role character, but I I can I can see this guy. <laughs> so from the song, you just like morphed into this character, Brass? Yep. That's, yeah. That's awesome. It was like, I took him, I took that song, and then uh, I'd just seen Umbrella Academy and The Magicians, so there were a couple characters that fed into that song as well. Morphed into Ball and Out came Brass. Oh, that's so funny. I love that. I think you're the first author that we've interviewed who's taken inspiration from music to create their main characters. I love that. Most people take yeah. from like real life experiences or some people just pulled them out from thin air, I think. Yeah, but yeah, this is really yeah. cool. So do you have like a Spotify, like a, like a playlist of music that you listen to while you write? Like, do you have like a certain like series of music, like type oh, of music? I've got many Spotify plays. I, I've made a sp- <laughs> Like it started because I, because Brass got born from that song. I made a playlist for him, and then I heard like the one that got away from Katy Perry 
when I was writing the book. And I was like, oh, okay. And now I've spun that out into snow. <laughs> and then at that point, once you have once you have playlists for two of the characters, you got to make playlists for all of them. Oh, I love that. And so then like, I made a playlist for the entire book. I love that. So and like now my Spotify is just full of character playlists. <laughs> so for like for a character like Snow, like what kind of genre music would? Oh, uh, it's a lot Snow? of like s- sad girl pop. <laughs> it's it's a lot of sad girl pop, and it's a lot of. Uh, and it's a lot of breakup songs. I love that. <laughs> so, so it's a lot of Billie Eilish and Mothica. No, oh my God, Jessica's just dying laughing behind the the computer. That's so funny. I love it so much. I'm so sad. I usually am the one who does the interviews, and I'm so sad to be behind the camera today because I have just questions <laughs> brewing in my mind for you. I'm loving everything you're saying. <laughs> Okay, um, but backpedaling a little bit, you said that um, you started writing fantasy kind of in college when you got into D&D and stuff. So what kind of book, like, writing were you doing in middle school when you came up with Snow? Uh, in middle school, I was uh, basically doing a ripoff of the Halo novels with me and my friends as the Spartans. Oh, my God, that's so, <laughs> that's so cool. I remember playing Halo 3 ODST with all my friends back in, like, local multiplayer days. Mm-hmm. That was so much fun. So, um, what was your writing process like for they met in a tavern? Uh, once, like I had like the cast in my head, which again was like a storm of listening to music and pulling from stuff I'd seen. Once I had like the people, it's copious amounts of outlining. It's just imagining. It starts out imagining scenes and just moments I want to have, like uh. Phoenix re-encountering snow and just being dumbstruck like uh, uh hi and her just being like we don't have time for this like I know, <laughs> I know what the, we don't have time for this so like that scene gets written on a note card and it just gets slapped on the wall okay and just full of full of scenes like that just slap it on the wall then rearrange it into it in like an order that makes sense then figure out what needs to like go in between and then just keep working at that, keep creating scenes to stitch it all together until I've got a nice, nice picture. Then that gets turned into a, like a college essay outline in like a Google doc. And then I just write straight down that in a checklist. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. So I, I'm just like imagining like on a wall, you just having like a whole bunch of postcards, like connected by like little pieces oh, yeah. of red twine to make like this beautiful, like mind web kind of like. <laughs> I didn't have the red twine. What I would do is I would write in different colored markers for like what character it was. Okay. So like I could like see it on the wall, who was the, who was like taking up the most screen time and who like hadn't shown up in forever. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, that's so cool. So are you? Would you say you're more of like a planner or a pantser? Like oh, hundred percent planner. I don't understand how pantsers function. <laughs> and. Like, like low-key, whenever I, like, listen to them complain about, like, oh, no, I wrote myself into a corner, or, oh, I'm not really sure what happens next. I just go, <laughs> <laughs> So I've heard from some of our other authors that they started, they, like, before they even wrote, they had the ending in mind, and they kind of built it out from there. Did you, like, start from, like, have, like, a solid, like, foundation, like, the, the ending you knew exactly what was going to happen? Or was it more like you're just kind of piecing it together as it goes, like, a puzzle? Uh so in the planning stage, what happened was, like, from the very beginning, I knew, like, I wanted these characters to be separate. 
I wanted something to push them together and for them to chafe at being pushed together and then to solve the problem that has pushed them together. And like, it took me a while to even work out what that was. And then once I finally did, I was like, okay. And then I branched out from there. Uh, I didn't, like, I figured out the ending before I started writing words. But okay. uh, no, it's, it started with just like, something's got to push them together. <laughs> uh, did someone die? No. Uh, that's too Umbrella Academy. Uh, people are coming to kill him. That's so funny. All right. Um, so, and speaking of that, like, what was the, what would you say was the hardest scene for you to write in They Met No Tavern? Oh, okay. And that could That's, be... Because uh, the scenes that are hard for me to write are the ones that I feel need to be there to, like, explain what's going on. But I can't figure out where the drama in the scene is. Right, okay. So, so like, uh, trying to find what would make it interesting to the reader? Yeah, like, yeah. There are just certain scenes where it's just like, well, if I don't include this, there's just a big gap of time where we come out the other side and go, wait, how did we all get here? What's When did this happen? And so, like, it needs to go there. But, like, it's, it's just a conveyance of information. So, like, uh, the scene where Ruby... R runs into uh, Anerwyn looking to warn Brass and Phoenix like, hey, someone's coming to kill you guys, but they're already all gone. <laughs> and instead she runs into Wings. And she's just, and Wings is just like, or Elizabeth's just like, I don't know who you are, but you know what's going on. Come with me. <laughs> yeah, I actually enjoyed that scene a lot. I thought it was like, it was like, like an informative Piece, but I also felt it was kind of like entertaining seeing how uh, she and Wings like interacted as like Wings yeah. kind of like still being like a parent figure and having to take care of Robin, but like this stranger's in here like trying to tell her all this stuff and it's she's just like, okay. Yeah, well, like I said, like I, yeah. it starts out as just like, well, I need to explain why Elizabeth ends up in the city and and how they know what's going on and what happens to Ruby. So this needs to exist. But this, and like the first draft of it is really just, Ruby's here, this is what's going on. Elizabeth's like, ah, yes, come with me. And it's like, okay, how do I make this not boring? Yeah, yeah. And those no, are the scenes that. that are hard to write, is like t taking something that should be boring and trying to find a reason to care. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I can see why that would be difficult. So what kind of like research did you have to do to inform your writing for the story? Uh, I don't do a ton of research personally in terms of like actual like dives into topics. I will, because of my brain, randomly go on a, on a random research tangent of just like, what were carts shaped like right about now? Do they have axles? What kind of axles? And it's just, that's 20 minutes. That's my day <laughs> is looking up that or just like, when were public bathrooms invented? Yeah. I feel like but, I feel like fantasy is, like, one of those genres where you can get away with a lot of, like, um, oh, what's the word for it? Like, um, stretching the, uh, the factual, the factual, historical oh, yeah. facts just a little bit, <laughs> or a lot oh, of yeah. it. Like, it. Like, when I look up when something was invented, it's just like, it's just like, oh, this was invented in the 1800s. <laughs> I was like, ah, that's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> they figured it out sooner. They've got magic. That's so funny. So this next question is like a bit of a 
don't know if a personal question, but um, I want your opinion on this. So at, as an author, like, at what point do you think a person can call themselves a writer? And oh. what, what differences do you see between someone who's a, uh, between a writer and an author? All right. I have, like, bullied myself with these definitions forever, is that a writer is anyone. It's the, the ones I've settled on for my own mental health is that a writer is anyone. Anyone, if you're writing, if you're just writing for yourself, you're writing fan fiction for whatever you're doing, you're working on your first novel, you're a writer. Writers are people who write. And an author is someone who has published something out either, either by themselves, like self-published with a publisher. If you publish something, it's finished, it's done, and you have presented it to other people, then then now you're an author okay I and like then because everyone lives with eternal imposter syndrome is once i did that once i had the one i was just like anyone can have the one anyone can have the <laughs> one really like you gotta have a couple to be an author and authors are people who write books plural you wrote one <laughs> well speaking of books we do have uh they split the party coming out soon so you yeah. can say that you've got multiple coming now yeah yeah now now i've got nothing <laughs> got no ammo on myself where's that imposter syndrome now oh it'll come back yeah so speaking of um your experience as a writer what would you say is like your kryptonite as a writer ah uh, okay um i think it's honestly I want to say world building. Okay. I don't know. I feel like that's just, that's a tough one because there's so many, so much you can do. Yeah, it's, with it's like hard building. to figure out what I'm bad at. Because <laughs> like I, at this point, I think I'm good. If I if I don't think I'm good at it, I just don't do it. Yeah, but like your kryptonite could be but, anything uh, from like things to write or like um, things in your environment that constantly distract you or anything that like would make it difficult to get the writing done. Okay, honestly, you know what my kryptonite is? Is I actually still struggle with um, uh, creating like plots or characters that do not progress via action. Okay. Like I'm, it's very difficult for me to not give a character a sword. <laughs> That's right. So how, as like a D&D &D dungeon master, um, do you find that the same as like building the world? Um, do you have trouble building the world and like building out the characters like that in the same way? Well, see, the thing about world building is like I can do it. Yeah. But I, I feel like I, every world I'm really impressed by feels like it has like that thing, that one like element that lets everything else fits in a core around and yeah. it like colors everything like um uh i just read uh the helm of midnight fairly recently and like it's got like this whole system of like how people can bottle time and emotions and and like the whole world building is spun out from that and like months and like this one species of monsters Okay. And, like, it informs everything and, like, it colors the whole world. And, like, I struggle to come up with that thing and then have it color the world and have it feel distinct. 
Okay. Okay. Interesting. So what would you say that like that core element, that thing it was for you in They Met in a Tavern? What I tried to make it was glint chasing. Okay. Uh, like yeah. this, like this idea, which uh, is to an extent core to D and D itself, is that like we are in a world of ruins. It's a post post apocalypse, basically. Like there was this advanced civilization that had all sorts of fun magic and riches, and it's gone. And now, and there's so much of it left that there's an entire industry around people going into it and taking stuff out and like repurposing it and scavenging it and selling it and fighting the stuff that comes out of it. Okay. And that's glint chasers. Is there the people who just like, Hey, there's a, there's a ruin out there. There's probably a lot of good shit in it. It's also probably going to be real dangerous. Yeah. And there's I, a whole cottage industry around that. You know, I loved that reminded me. Um, I loved in like near the end of um, the book, I loved brasses like definition like when how you wrote like what brass was like his experience of like what glint chasing was i loved his description of it and, oh yeah yeah i just thought that was really cool um, that, that, that that speech was one of my favorites yeah that was like i was like ooh, that hit me right in the right in the heart <laughs> i liked it um so this being the podcast obviously our listeners have been listening to the audiobook um, what was your experience listening to the audiobook for the first time or hearing your book spoken out by like through narration? Uh, that was that was a little surreal because uh, I, I, I I've, I've been like hearing it in my head forever in a certain way. And it's it was real weird to sort of like give up some of that control of like how everyone's supposed to sound, even like giving like point pointers and directions to Chris okay uh like he, he put his own stuff on it and it it was it was good like it's real good like his his like in some places it's it's like it came out of my head like his phoenix is on point uh, like i think i just gave him the point of like tired dad energy <laughs> and it came out exactly how i imagined the sound all the time i love it and then but the funnest thing for me is what happened with brass is because when i when i first envisioned brass i vocally based him off of uh Taliesin Jaffe's portrayal of his character Molly Mock from season two of Critical Role which is this sort of fast talking vaguely Irish but not really voice and uh what Chris came out with was this sort of a uh, almost British dandy voice I want to say and I like it but it's it's not what I originally imagined and so now when I'm writing the character I sort of flip-flop between the two voices in my head Oh my god, that's so funny. You know, I when I was reading the book the second time, I read about halfway through in the actual in the hardcover and then I listened to the second half in the audiobook because I wanted to see the voices and the characters I created in my head for it as I was reading mm -hmm. it, do they match up to the audiobook? And I had that same feeling with Brass where I had a completely different idea of how he would sound in my head while reading it. And then the audiobook, I heard that, and I was like, oh, wait, actually, I really like this. This, like, yeah, like, like fits him, like, it fits his dialogue so well that I was yeah. just like, this is, he is so funny. I like, he was probably my favorite character. And then oh, yeah. Angel was probably my second favorite, but Brass, like, stole the show for me. I loved it. It was so entertaining to listen to him. Yeah, Brass is always a treat. <laughs> so... 
if your book were to be made into a movie or TV show, who would you cast? Uh, I've like gone back and forth on this a few times. Uh, I know, like for voice cast, if I if it was an animated thing, there's a couple people that I've always had in mind, like a uh, Snow. Uh, I want to say her name is Avalon. It's the girl who does uh, Megara from Hades. Okay. Uh, the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Avalon Penrose. Okay. Her absolutely for snow. Uh, Brass, it would either be Taliesin Jaffe or Chris Kaluuya. <laughs> Depending on which version of Brass I wanted to go with at this point. Okay. Because okay. I love both of them. Yeah. What about for Phoenix? Oh. <laughs> Part of me wants to do it myself, but you know, <laughs> but, um, I, I actually like I was in envi- I was envisioning you as like Phoenix as the character because I I felt like you like put a lot of like your own like personality into him. And oh yeah, yeah. Phoenix Phoenix got Phoenix inherited a lot of me. He inherited a lot of my hopes and a lot of my anxieties and quirks. I had some serious existential issues going on when I was writing. T- <laughs> tavern because what happened was i wrote it right when i was graduating college and all of my all like all my friends were graduating we were all scattering and i just felt like everything that i'd been building and enjoying and living was leaving me and i had nothing left i was just like uh this family that i built is gone and then at the same time i was like i used to write so much and now i don't write at all and I felt like I suddenly, I felt washed up. And so that those feelings of just like being isolated and losing your family and being like washed up. And I, oh, can I even do it, do it anymore? That just got rolled up, given a fancy pair of goggles and it became Phoenix. I could totally see that. Yeah. So speaking, going, uh, following up on the whole movie thing, if you were to write like a spinoff series about one of the one of the main characters from they met in a tavern who would it be and what would like the book be about <laughs> i know it's a loaded I've question got, i mean i've got i got a lot of plans for that <laughs> uh i know that if i was going to spin off anyone i think like in order of like preference that i would spin off Oh, I can't even do it in order of preference. <laughs> I know I want to do something with Ink, honestly. Who isn't one of the main characters? I didn't even but, like, think of Ink. Ink has, yeah. like, s- so much backstory at some point that it just it feels wrong not to, like, see her. And also just because she was with a completely different company. I feel like following the court of Anwin instead of the Starbreakers would just give it such a different perspective on the world, especially since the court of Anwin went to very different corners of the world compared to uh, the Starbreakers. Yeah, you know, I actually and... love that because while I was reading They Been at Tavern, like, Ink was one of those characters who, like, always had this kind of, like, I was always, like, wondering, like, what's her background? Like, what's her story? Like, how did she get to be, like, you know, the High Inquisitor? And what was her background with her company? And I I love that as a spinoff. Yeah. Ink in the Court of Anwen. It would honestly end up being a lot more Grey's Anatomy than you're imagining. (laughs) Like, just replace all the surgery with fantasy adventuring and battling monsters. But other than that, it's probably just Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Oh, 
my god i would read that in a heartbeat yeah it's on my to-do list because i want to read that <laughs> so actually off of that would you say that um when you write you write for stuff for you to read as well like not just for your audience but like it's something that you would want to read as well oh 100 percent. uh at this point i write almost chiefly i, I write what i want to read okay i'd like i want i want this i want this story to exist has anyone written it can i just go read this story <laughs> no dang it guess i gotta write it myself and then <laughs> then i gotta write it and it gets added to my to-do list <laughs> that's so funny so when you like sit down for writing and stuff like what is your like favorite writing snack or drink like what is your like go-to uh go to i usually i mean i don't really have a go to i just grab whatever i probably should just start drinking something with caffeine or something in it because every time i've done that it's been a much more productive day than if i haven't mm, coffee yeah i could see that i could see that so what can you tell us about your sequel they split the party uh yeah uh so I like to think of the Gwent Chaser series as just an extended sequence of coming to grips with uh, the, the, your past in order to move forward with your future. Okay. And so the first book, Tavern, is all about the Starbreakers dealing with their stuff with each other and their internal mess. And now coming out the other side of it, they fix that. It's split the party I envisioned as them reconciling dealing with all the baggage they had with the court corsar the kingdom that they live in primarily okay. so it's it, it the story centers around a bunch of villains most of whom they put away breaking out of prison and the kingdom who at this point has scorned them for everything that happened that made them break them in the first place like sort of having to come back to him and be like hey I know we sort of kicked you out to the curb forever ago, like when you were already down, but help. <laughs> and the Starbreakers being like, hmm, how do we feel about that? We'll consider it. <laughs> so you have they met in a tavern and you have they split the party. Is it just going to be a duology or is there going to be more like, is it going to be a trilogy? I have currently four books planned. Ooh. It's It's going to be four. Very so exciting. I'm writing. I'm writing number three right now because two is already in the pipe, ready to go. Releases releasing next year. Awesome. And awesome. then third one's gonna be they played their role, which is them dealing with their their everything they had with the last job. That that one job in Relgan that went to went to crap. That is that that book is about them sort of reconciling with that and making up for it maybe okay okay do you have do you know then, how like the whole series is going to end or is that yeah. still like an open book you do no yeah i i know exactly how three ends and then four i know how it it exists purely to deal with the fallout of three okay so it's just tying up all those loose ends yeah and it's it, like i like if i wanted to rush it I could have done this in three, but like the way I want to end three, I just, I, it needed a, a book to decompress after. 
and I know, and I know where they all end up. I know I've envisioned for a long time what the end appropriate ending for these characters was, because uh, that, like I said, that was the whole arc of the series is like putting your past to bed, and like not having it haunt you, so you can properly move on with your future and the rest of your life. Okay. Yeah. And I also wanted to like, I've always had this kind of question about it, but like, how, how did you come up with the titles? Like they split the party, they met in a tavern. Like, how did you, how were you like, how did you come up with those titles? Cause when I saw they met in a well, tavern while I was reading, I was like, that's a really interesting title. Yeah. Uh, what I did is I based it off of a, that, that first title I based off of like just a, the D and Dism of just like you every every like the cliched way to start a campaign is meet in a tavern. Okay. And I imagined the Starbreakers as a very stereotypical cliche D and D campaign D and D party. They they met exactly how you thought they met. They met in a tavern. They went on exactly the adventures you think they went on. They they rescued some royalty. They fought some monsters. They battled some cultists. They fought a dragon. Like they did all the all the stuff that you're supposed to do, and then in that big in that big final session where it's like this is our big hero moment to end the campaign, they lost. And so I wanted something. I wanted a title that sort of conveyed that sense of like you know these people, you know this story, you know how it started. Okay. And but so like, but I want it to be like past tense. Yeah, I wanted to like evoke like all that nostalgia, all that stuff you know. That was what came before. So they met, past tense in a tavern. Okay, I love that. I love that. And then from there, I just uh, it, it spun out into like, okay, what other D and D syllogisms can I put throw in the past? And yeah. So then they split the party. And which, so, uh, I feel, which sometimes I feel like is tempting fate. <laughs> uh, review wise just like everyone knows you're not supposed to split the party <laughs> yeah so do you think you're ever going to write like a prequel to uh for they met in a tavern uh i think about it sometimes i think about because i i've now like the more i write of this bit of their lives the more i think about how the rest of their lives before went to some extent i feel like i don't want to because it's in theory, supposed to be that you know what it was. You, they they went on all the adventure classic adventures you imagine. Yeah, that that was their past. It, it, they they had a basic they they had a basic past, and then it's how the fallout of that very basic past that I wanted to focus on. Cool, cool. But at the same time, I feel like now, just having listened to it, I I I would if I did it. It would be specifically as a very tragic angle to it okay. of like this ends with a city dead and five friends hating each other so like if i wrote a prequel the very first scene of it would be like phoenix turning up on elizabeth's doorstep soaking wet from the rain crying and just being like it they're dead it, it, everything died. and she what and then from there flashback to the start and it would just be this constant, like, approaching collision 
where like every with every win, every happy moment, you you know. Oh no, something bad's coming. So like, so like when Phoenix and Snow would get together in that prequel, and they just and they have that have what that like tender moment, just like I love you, like we're gonna like you and me forever. And you just know it, like just what like, happens. Oh. I really like that, oh. like knowing like it's gonna end badly, but like not knowing the details and like being like I need to know how it happened. Yeah, if if I ever did it, it would be as a as a tragic slow motion car crash of like oh you can see it all coming. Yeah. Ooh. So to round things up and round off the interview a little bit, what are you reading right now? Uh, right now, my book club that I'm in that usually dictates what I re- read is on hiatus. So I've mostly just been rereading Cradle by Will White for like the fifth, seventh time. It's uh, basically just, I describe it as a wizard kung fu, the anime, the books. Nice, nice. It's a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's it's the best shonen anime you'll ever read. Love it. Anyway, um, and is there any gonna be any more horror like uh, when you were a kid? Hmm. Jessica. That. Sorry, that was my question. You had mentioned in the beginning that you used to be a big horror reader. Do you still feel like you would read books like that, or are you definitely on the fantasy train now? I. I I'm mostly on the fantasy train if I'm not gonna lie, but like I'd be interested in going. Honestly, I want to read some romance. At this point, I have a in in that book club I mentioned. I'm pretty famous for like constantly getting hung up on the romantic subplots, <laughs> and like either wanting more or just gushing about how well they were done. And every time, everyone in the club's just like, just read romance. <laughs> Well, shameless plug, we do have quite a few romance novels at CamCat that you are welcome to check out. (laughs) Yeah, might be time. Might finally be time. So um, to finish off the interview, where can we find you? Um, Like websites, social media, handles, anything like that? Uh, Yeah, I am on ElijahMonchaka.com is my personal website. It is where I post up... uh, all of the uh, updates of what's going on. It's where I run my uh, week my bi-weekly web serial, which is one of my side projects set in the same world as a uh, glint chasers, but on a completely different continent. So it's a whole different set of issues going on over there. Oh, cool. I'm going to have to check uh, that out. On that, on that, I'm on Twitter at Phoenix agent zero zero three. And honestly, you can use that handle to find me most places. Uh, I am on Instagram and TikTok. Although I'm most active on Twitter and TikTok. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, Elijah, for coming on with us. And to the listeners at home, you can find They Met in a Tavern and its sequel, They Split the Party, in audiobook, ebook, and print formats on our website, camcatbooks.com. You can also find Camcat Unwrapped on all major podcast platforms or watch us on our YouTube channel, Camcat Unwrapped. And make sure you follow us on social media at camcatbooks. Thanks so much for tuning in and unwrapping another one of our books to live in with me. My name is Gabe, and I'll see you next time here on CamCat Unwrapped.